second week of a series we are calling Amazing Stories. And uh, the idea is that the Bible is full of stories. And the Bible, from cover to cover, is really God's story. Uh, It's really the story of God and how God relates to people and how we relate to God. And so what we've been hoping to do this particular series is to look at some of these stories and see where is God in the story and where are we in the story and we're picking really famous stories so last week we picked the story of David and Goliath and even if you're like you just came to church today because you're like I got it I feel I need to go to church and you don't know whether to believe the Bible or not or all that kind of stuff you probably knew the story of David and Goliath This morning, we're going to do another story that is very famous, Um, although we're not going to so much stay in, you know, this particular famous part, but I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but most of us know the story of Daniel and the lion's den, and uh, even if you're just a little kid, you probably know, know, know that story, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and they the lions ate Daniel and ripped his body to shreds and he went to be with the Lord. It's a beautiful, wonderful story. Uh, but at the same time we go through these, well, I don't want to give away the story before I talk about it. Man, so you're like, that's not the way it goes. Oh, you watch. Um, no, but uh, the other thing we're doing at this time is while we're going over these stories in children's ministry, they're going over the same stories. And so what we're going to try to do in big, what we call big church, is give you some tools so that you'll look smart driving home with the kids as they talk about what they learned at school, at Sunday school. You can say, well, you know, the Hebrew word, you know, all that kind of smart stuff. And then your kids will be like, what? You're so smart. How can I obey you for the rest of my life? And well, you'll have to work out the details from there, but we're we're doing the best we can. But uh, the other thing we're doing is we're doing um, team teaching, which we've never done here before, and I'm excited about it. Uh, And so Bob brings all the smarts of a college professor, and I bring all the good looks of a a supermodel. And so um, (laughs) Bob, (laughs) come on up. And save me. All right, so John said we're, we're talking in the book of Daniel. And if you want to follow along, you'll find Daniel just after Ezekiel, just before Hosea, about 60% of the way through your Bible. And it begins like this. It doesn't right, jump right to the lion's den, but it begins like this. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, right here, we have one of the things that makes the Bible sometimes hard to read. A bunch of funny names and a bunch of funny places that, I don't know what these things are, right? What are these things about? But here's the deal. If you just know a little bit, you don't have to have an advanced degree, but if you just know a little bit, you get about 80% of the way there. And that's what we're going to do right now, is get about 80% of the way there. If you want to talk to us afterwards, there's like 18 things that we know that doesn't show up here. But... That's no joke. I mean, <laughs> but but here, here's the situation, okay? Why is Nebuchadnezzar besieging Jerusalem? Here's the situation. They lived in a world very much like the one that we, most of us grew up in, that was dominated by two superpowers. So there was that kind of thing, two superpowers. Now, the one we grew up in, for most of us, was dominated by the United States and by the Soviet Union, okay? And it, and it, Still, still is to a large extent, that history was driven by the rivalry between these two empires. Um, in, this, in the time of Daniel, we're about 600 BCE, 
History is driven by a rivalry between the Egyptians on one side and the Mesopotamians on another side. Whoops. Come on. There we go. Mesopotamians on the other side. Um, <laughs> wrong Mesopotamians, but I, I just saw this. I love this album. I wore this out when I was in college. Still good stuff. These are the Mesopotamians, okay? Now, to, to see this a little more clearly, here's, here's the deal. Mes- as you can see on the map, Egypt is down here. Mesopotamia is up here. You might remember from classes at school, this area here is called the Fertile Crescent. And it's what civilization worked along the way. Did you notice, though, what's in between Mesopotamia and Egypt? It's Canaan. And that's where the Israelites lived. Israel is in the land of Canaan. So it meant whenever the Babylonians wanted to mess with the Egyptians, they had to go through Canaan. Whenever the Egyptians wanted to mess with everybody else, they had to go through Canaan. So the people that we're concerned about in the biblical story are kind of stuck in the middle. At the time in 600 BCE, the Babylonians are the boss of the world. They've just defeated their predecessors in Mesopotamia called the Assyrians, who were really bad guys. We're going to meet them again in two weeks in the book of Jonah. So they've just defeated the Assyrians and have just defeated the Egyptians. And they're like the boss of the whole area right now. And the reason Nebuchadnezzar is, we're back to the story, the reason Nebuchadnezzar is laying siege to Jerusalem is that the people of Judah, the kingdom around Jerusalem, had been formerly vassals to the Babylonian Empire. See, they preferred not to wipe people out. They would rather just show up at your town, threaten you, and say, be our vassal, which means be loyal to us and send tribute to us, and then we won't wipe you out. And so Judah had been a vassal to the Babylonians, but the whole time they're doing this, you know, Egypt is right next door, and the Egyptians keep sending messages saying, hey, hey, if you guys rebel against the Babylonians, we'll totally have your back. Just say no to them. Well, the king of Judah did and rebelled against the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar showed up to show him who's boss. And he did. And it says in the text that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And they carried them off to the temple of the God of Babylon and put the treasure in the house of his God. Now, this was a normal thing in their world. Normally, if my country defeats your country, it means my God is a bigger deal God than your God. And so we would loot the temple of the God that we just defeated. And so the Babylonians think, we've defeated Yahweh. We're the boss of everything. We're going to go into his temple and take his stuff. But notice the way the passage reminds us that this whole thing was the Lord's plan. Israel was defeated, but the Lord wasn't defeated. And the passage has a number of really key ways to remind us of this. But one of the things that it wants us to remind us of is that the Lord had called his shot in advance. Some of you guys might remember around this time, there's a prophet named Jeremiah, famous for the book of Jeremiah that you find in your Bibles. And the Lord had used him to say, you know what? It is my will, because of your sin, that the Babylonians are going to wipe you out. And they're going to take you away. And in fact, in Jeremiah 20, you can just kind of see this as I'm talking. In Jeremiah 20, the Lord had called his shot in advance. And everything that happens here, he had described in advance. So the Babylonians thought they were in charge. But this passage wants us to know that the person who's really in charge of all of this 
is the Lord. That he said, I'll, you'll take me away and you'll carry off like plunder to Babylon. And so that is what happened. So they were carried off to Babylon and taken, about 10,000 of them were taken as essentially slaves to Babylon. So as Daniel goes on, it says in verse 3, that the king ordered Ashpenaz, this is King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and we're in Babylon now, ordered the chief of his court officials to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So what he's about to do here is, is kind of a unique thing that the Babylonians did. When the Assyrians conquered you, they would just kill most of the people, and the people that weren't killed, they'd scatter throughout their empire and they'd cease to exist. What the Babylonians are trying to do here is to grab an elite, younger members of the elite group of the people from Judah and to educate them in the Babylonian system. In fact, that's what it goes on to say here in the next. He says they're grabbing young men, and these guys are probably in their teens, no more than 20. Good looking, physical, great physical specimens. They have everything going for them. And the plan was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, to essentially give them the keys of the kingdom and allow them to come and be part of the elite part of Babylonian society. So the plan was, is these guys would be educated in the Babylonian system, and then the Babylonians would put them to work. So they'd be loyal both to Babylon and their own people, which was a pretty smart way to rule your conquered people, use their own people to do it. Um, one of the key parts, though, that's really interesting is it says they get to learn the language and literature of Babylon. This is no joke, okay? Here's, here's an example. In fact, what this is, this is what's called the Babylonian Chronicle, and it's the Jerusalem tablet of the Babylonian Chronicle. It's essentially Nebuchadnezzar's version of the same thing we're reading about in Daniel. It's the same story told from the Babylonian side. And it's even possible Daniel and his friends had something to do with the production of this. But, you know, think, okay, you learn a new language. It's not a big deal. Um, this is what it would look like up close, okay? And Akkadian, which was the language that they were learning, I got to study this for about a semester. Akkadian is no joke. The language is not that different from Hebrew. It would be like going from Spanish to um, Italian. But imagine if you're a Spanish speaker going from Spanish to Italian, and then you have to write it in Chinese characters and Japanese characters in HTML code. That's what they were learning to do, okay? So it was kind of a big deal that they were invited to do this. Since we're paying attention to words, too, I want to highlight one thing. You see there right at the end where it says, of the Babylonians, and then there's this little B. A lot of you, if you're following along your Bibles, you have a footnote there. What the Hebrew text here actually says is the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the ancient people of Mesopotamia, and it essentially means Babylonians, and in verse 2, when it said that the Lord had carried the Israelites off to Babylon, in that text it actually says Shinar rather than Babylon. Shinar is the Israelites' ancient name for Babylonia. Um, and the translators, they didn't want to confuse you, so they just, oh, they mean Babylonia, so they say Babylon. But the original author, I think, is doing something really interesting here. What you name something matters a lot. It kind of shows who's in charge, by who gets to name things. What you call it shows a certain amount of power over this. And what this is doing is this passage is showing us in a lot of subtle ways that even though it looks like the Babylonians are on top, the Lord still is. 
They're not going to Babylon. They're going to Shinar, a place that we know. It's by our name and not the Babylonian's name. So they make their move, and then now as part of this training, they get some food from the king's table, and this is really generous and really good from the king, but there's also a certain amount of control because if you eat at the king's table, you're also dependent on the king, and John will explain in a minute there's another problem with this, but, um, but they get to do that, and they get to train for three years. It would take you at least three years to master Akkadian. It's, again, it's a nightmare. But they get to do, and basically what this is is a graduate education in Babylon. They get to do the best of what Babylonia offers. And then in the next verse, we find out who it is. And we finally meet the guy whose name is on the book. We meet Daniel. And it says, these are the, among the people that were chosen. We, we meet four guys. Daniel. We meet Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay? This is, this is the guy's names. Now, the thing is, at this point, is it's like, is this okay for them to do this? You know, they've been conquered by the Babylonians. And so are they being disloyal to God and God's people by going to work for the Babylonians? Shouldn't they be saying, no, man, I'm not going to do anything you ask me to do, you know, and, and not give in to the man? Well, actually, it is okay. It is okay. Because the same Jeremiah that the Lord had sent the word to before to say, look, you guys need to give in. It's my will that you get conquered by the Babylonians. When they were conquered by the Babylonians and sent along, Jeremiah, under the Lord's direction, in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, sent a letter along with them as guidance on how they're supposed to live while they're living in exile in Babylon. And here we go. And he did it again. Thank you. <laughs> this is... This is smarter than my thumb is, and so stuff happens. So this is the letter to the exile, and it starts this way. It kind of, the text kind of intros. It explains the situation, and it's right where we are. And it gives us a little reminder, again, that the Lord is completely in charge of this. It tells us who they are. And in verse 4, in case you missed it, it makes it absolutely clear. Notice what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty, not conquered, but the Lord who's the boss of everyone, the God of Israel, says to those that, not were conquered by the Babylonians, but that I carried into exile. So notice the way the Lord is still completely in charge of this situation. This is what he says. Essentially, make Babylon your home. You're going to be here a while. The plan was, that the Lord gave to Jeremiah, was, yeah, they're going to be judged, they're going to be, they're going to be conquered, and a remnant of people are going to go to Babylon, but they're not going to stay there the Lord is eventually going to bring them back to Jerusalem. So for there to be a people to bring back to Jerusalem, they've got to live their lives. They've got to have homes. They've got to have jobs. They've got to get married and have kids to make sure they don't decrease, to make sure they increase. So the Lord says, look, while you're here, don't just sit there like an angry child and say, oh, this isn't what I want. Live your lives, okay? But what Daniel and his friends, or actually we don't know if they're friends or not, but Daniel and the other three guys are being asked to do is much more than that. They're being asked to actually work for the Babylonians. And, you know, in, in our own time, in World War II, you know, the people that worked with the Nazis in, in Norway, they called them Quislings, which was not a good word. The people that worked with the Nazis in France, they called the Vichy French, and that, those were not good terms. And so... Is, is that what the Lord is asking him to do? Is that okay? Jeremiah's letter nails that. It says exactly that. 
He says, here's what you're supposed to do. Not just put up with the Babylonians, but actually seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Again, the Lord is still in charge. But their job is to actually go to work for the Babylonians. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So what they're being asked to do by the Babylonians is exactly what the Lord wants them to do. But there is one problem. Notice these guys' names, okay? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, all of those are good. If you really want to impress your kids, theophoric names means it has God's name in them. See the L's and the Yah's or the Jah's? That's either Yahweh or, or Elohim, the Hebrew word for God. So they have God's name in all of their names. These guys have great Israelite names. But then in verse 7, it says that the chief of the officials wants to rename them. And remember, we've just talked about how what you call things shows power. What you call things shows authority. And so this is a little rough. So again, here's what they are. Daniel, his name means God is my judge. Hananiah, his name means the Lord is gracious. Mishael, his name, means who is like God. And Azariah, his name means the Lord has helped. Those are great names, right? And if you're trying to hang in there with the Lord in a difficult place, to know that your own name is something about how God has worked, that's kind of cool. But here's what they wanted to call them, okay? Daniel, they want to call Belteshazzar, which in Babylonian means protector of Bel. Bel is one of the major gods of Babylon. Hananiah becomes Shadrach. That's where these other names. It's like, wait, I didn't think those were their names. We know them by their Babylonian names. Shadrach is commanded by Shudder, who was the god of the part of Mesopotamia where Babylon was. Mishael becomes Meshach. Instead of who is like my god, it's like who is like Aku, who was like the person who was the god of Babylon itself. And finally, Azariah, the Lord has helped, becomes Abednego which means servant of Nabu, the personal god of Nebuchadnezzar. You can even hear it in his name. So what are they going to do? They have this letter from Jeremiah saying, go to work, be loyal Babylonians. But the Babylonians are asking them to eat food that maybe isn't okay. And they're asking them, not even asking, telling them. They're putting, literally the Hebrew word, putting new names on them. So is this a step too far? What are they going to do? We have this letter from Jeremiah, but surely taking the name of a Babylonian god, I can't do that, can I? They're kind of stuck. But luckily for us, the passage doesn't end there. And John's going to show us that part. Thanks, man. Theo what? Theophoric. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, thought I was back in school. Okay, um, listen, so when we were talking about this, uh, when Bob and I were talking, <laughs> sorry, dude, I didn't mean that. Okay, uh, when Bob and I were talking this week, we came to the conclusion, this is exactly where we are in life, right? I mean, for, for a lot of us, we have jobs, and so we have a title, 
We, we've been, been given a title, maybe, uh, maybe it's manager, maybe it's just mop boy, you know, what, whatever it is, that there's a culture that has assigned us a name. For the, even those who, of you who are retired, you are retired, or, you know, what, whatever, whatever the kind of title that culture is given you. If you're in school, you're a student, and that's the title that culture has given you. If you go to a specific school, they have a mascot, and oftentimes you'll wear some article of clothing that has that mascot on it. You're identifying with that particular job. Some of you work in construction, and so you're a carpenter or a plumber, or you're in sales, so you're a salesman, and you're trying to get the title salesman of the year with the little parking space that has your picture on it or whatever whatever i have the i have the title pastor okay we're in culture there's nothing we can do about that really the question is how far is too far how far do you go how how far can you if you're in sales you know and and and, you know when if you're in sales and you're good at sales you're making money how much money is too much money if you're, in a, if you're in a corporation, you move up, you move up, manager, you know, middle manager, then, then you know, you, you run a division, then maybe you, you know, you, you, your job goes from the second floor to the fifth floor to the 12th floor to the 40th floor, your office goes from a cubicle to a corner, you know, you got a nice view, whatever. When, when is it too much? And this is exactly where Daniel found himself. He gets conquered by the Babylonians, and on the one hand, he's got this letter from Jeremiah going, Dude, go for it, man. Go, make, be prosperous, live long and prosper. Nanu, nanu, or whatever the thing is for, for Spock, right? Right, live long. There we go. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, uh, I'm getting, uh, but, but, and, and here, here he finds himself in a new spot. And, and as Bob alluded to, we think of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as, and Daniel as all having known each other. I mean, we, I, I put a little picture in here. This is, uh, this is one direction, apparently. Um, and uh, we kind of think of them as like a boy band coming from Israel to Babylon. They all knew each other. I even put the names on there, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and then there's Daniel kind of leading it. And that dude, uh, that doesn't have a name. Uh, uh, he he died on the way over there. So um, <laughs> poor poor dude died. It was a long trip. It took about a month. So and he was the one I wanted to kill off. Actually, so I just he was shaking his fist at me. I didn't like that. Uh, but what do you do? I better not keep it on that one. I'll move to the next uh, slide. There we go. We do what Daniel did. Daniel gets to this point. They gave him a new name. They probably gave, dressed him up in, in, in different clothes of a robe. They probably shaved his head, and they probably put a little thing in his ear, that, uh, a plug that said, you belong to the king. Put an earring in there and said, you belong to the king. For, Daniel's just like, yeah, whatever. Call me Belteshazzar, whatever. But there came a point where Daniel said, this far and no more. For Daniel, it had to do with food. That for Israel, there were all these dietary laws that God had set up. Because God, remember, we do these stories because we try to see what's God's story in all of this and what's our story in all of this. And God's story was, I want to create a people. 
okay, that I love that operates differently than everyone else so that everyone else will look and go, how? What's up with your God? You have a really smart God. You, you're, you're, the way you guys treat each other, the way you operate, what you eat, and how you interact in your community and all that, it, it shows off God's glory. We are no different. When you go into work, when you go into school, when you go into whatever place you're volunteering at because you're retired, you bring that title of child of God. What do you do when you get to a spot? Well, I'm going to give you a few things that I, I don't have written down, but you can, you can write them on your notes there. The first thing is understand what the Lord requires of you. Have a good idea in your context. What is it that God requires of me? Daniel resolved. It means, it means he, it's set in his heart. He's set in his heart. That's really cool when you look at the language of this particular passage. That word set is the word that we use, uh, that was used earlier when he said they set their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They basically put this on them. They labeled it on them. And Daniel, in the same way, sets in his heart, I'll go to here, but I'm not going to go anymore. In other words, like this. They could name him anything they wanted, but they couldn't tame his heart. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't just say, okay, this is the way you're going to feel about God. This is, this is who you are. See, who Daniel was was something completely different than what his title is. Now, isn't that hard in real life? I mean, what's the first thing we do in our culture? What do you do for a living? I mean, what we do... How, kind of defines who we are and we use that you know if you say you're a police officer i i automatically have this idea you know uh of kind of kind of who you are if you say i'm in sales or i do this or i'm a pastor ooh, you know I, it's like run for the hills right right i mean we, we kind of ha have this thing what daniel's showing us is what your title is has nothing to do with who you are i can name you but i cannot tame you your heart and how you view God and how you make your decisions in the context in which you live is all between you and God. And that's what Dave, D Daniel does. It says, Daniel resolved, he said in his heart, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And here's what he does. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Uh, like I said, we're all in our different contexts, right? So for you, in your context, where's the line? Where, where do you go, you know what? I, I'll, I'll do my job and serve the king, but I'll only go this far. For those of you in sales, your temptation is going to be to talk about your product or your services in a way that you can't really come through. But it, to get the sale, uh, if you're in school, your temptation is going to be, because that's kind of the culture of that school, is going to be to gather around with a bunch of kids and talk about other kids. And see, the thing is, we can't control where we end up, but we can control our heart. So you might, you might have just found out you're the captain of a, of a team at school. And all of a sudden, you've got all these responsibilities and a title, and you're kind of walking around, and you're big girl or big boy on campus or whatever. Okay, I'll do this, but I, 
I won't do this. I won't, I won't talk about other kids in school. I'm not going to do this. You might have just gotten a job as a manager. And now the people who you were with, you're over. And you say, okay, that's my responsibility. I want to treat them a certain way. I'm going to treat them like Jesus treated them. And now you're in meetings that you thought you knew what was going on when you were in the pool, but now you're up with the managers and you're getting these meetings and now you understand why things go, you know, you, you, you hear, hear like, why'd they make that decision? Well, now you know. How are you going to act? See, I can give you a title. We can go on and on. But I can't tame your heart. That's what happens. The second thing we need to do is understand our place. Understand our place. And, you know, it, it, sometimes we hear this in our culture as a, as a kind of a negative. Like, you know, look, if, if, the, if the president comes to you and says, hey, I want you to, you know, sweep up here, you're just going to sweep up. You understand your place. But there's another concept of this that I want us to be excited about. Because when your time comes, and it might come this week, it might even come tomorrow, where in your context of where you live, in my context of where I live, I'm going to have to make a choice. Uh, they, they will have named me, they will have done all these kind of things, but all of a sudden, something's going to come down the line where they say, hey, could you put your signature on this? And you go, ah. And that sense, uh, if, you're not, if you don't follow God, you might call it your conscience. The, the, the people who are followers of Jesus, we'd say it's the Holy Spirit that is kind of going, hey, 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 That's, you're going to cross the line. Watch what happens when Daniel sets his line. Remember this little thing right here. But Daniel resolved. Keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Very next, um, well, no, let me show you one other verse real quick. I forgot this first service. This is the idea that Peter wants us to have. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Peter wants us to see when you go to work, you're in exile. You're, you're like, I know. <laughs> Trust me. I don't need Peter to tell me that, right? When you go to school, you're a foreigner. And, yep, got that covered, right? But, but Peter wants you to see it from another kingdom perspective. Foreigners and exiles. To abstain from sinful desires. Now, oftentimes, if you're like me, and maybe my mind's just twisted, when I see sinful desires, I think like sex stuff, and kind of like, you know, like, you know, like, but that's not what this means. It's just serving another God. Sinful desires are just any desire you have for the God of the country you're exiled in. Right? For some of you, that God at your job is money. Everything revolves around money. So, so in some jobs, it's power. In some, it's competition. You've got, you know, there's a lot of competition, maybe even between branches or divisions or whatever. It, what Peter's saying is, no, no, you're, you're a foreigner. You're in exile, just like Daniel. Now watch what happens when Daniel crosses his, when he sets his line. This is so cool. Now God had caused. But Daniel resolved, now God had caused. There is a connection, hear me, please, between your line and the obedience of that line there's a connection between that and allowing God to move in your life. See, when we cross our lines or we have no lines, what we're saying to God is, hey, I got it. And God, God's fine with that. It, God's like Dr. Phil, kind of. You know, like, you know, how's that working out for you? You know, I mean, he's like, you know, it's like, you're going to make, all, I'm going to make all my own decisions. And then, and then God's just like, go ahead. Let me know how it goes for you. Uh, it'll be. 
and, and then when you, you know, I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere. And after you fall on your face, I'll be right here. But Daniel goes, no, this is my line. This is where I feel God is really calling me. Even though I have this letter from Jeremiah, God is calling me to stop right here. Now God is able to move, okay? Watch. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now I wonder... If Daniel hadn't asked, if he hadn't drawn his line, how would we have known that God had caused compassion and favor for Daniel? We wouldn't. And in the same way, I won't know all the ways God would intervene when I step over those lines. I can't look back and go, oh, he would have provided for me. I know he would have because I didn't, I didn't stay behind my line. And so... I want to see these two words here, favor and compassion. These are very, very strong words. These words are typically assigned to God, okay? Like, 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 like his loving kindness would be kind of the, the same type of thing. These are very, very strong words. And listen what's happening here. God is actually using the people that Daniel works for to show his love to Daniel. Now, you're, you're looking at me and you're just like, well, I know for a fact God's not using my boss to show loving kindness to me. I can guarantee you that. I'll get you. I'll get him on the phone right now, okay? He was texting me right now, wanting to know where I was. I'm in church, you know, sat, right? But listen, God can use all the structures of culture. He can use all those things to show you he loves you. That doesn't have to mean a, a, a promotion or whatever. It doesn't have to m mean all those things, but he can use those things. He says it, he caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head. Now, we use that as a term, another, oh man, my boss would have my head. He can really have his head cut off. <laughs> like, imagine your boss tells you to do something and you're like, I don't think I'm going to do it. And he says, well, I'll chop your head off. And he really could. There's like a guillotine or I don't know how they kind of did it or, you know, grabs a sword. Hey, I ain't playing around, you know, kind of touches the handle or whatever. This guy feared for his life. And he says, the king would have my head because of you. Now, what we see, and I don't have the verses up there, is that Daniel goes about this really the right way. So this, this particular guy, this, uh, uh, this official, kind of says no. And then Daniel goes to his immediate supervisor. It's like the, the corporate, the branch manager like comes and says no. And then you go to your, your like immediate supervisor and you're like, hey, you know. At first you're like, wait, what, what's going on? But see, Daniel does it the right way. He goes through the chain of command. He says, and he uses words like please and servant and hey. And he tells him again, can I get out of this? I don't want to defile myself. And his the guard that's assigned to him says, okay. Daniel says, give me 10 days. Give me 10 days. So they do. Listen, the more we offer God, the, the more we, we, we say, okay, God, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go over this line. I'm not gonna cross this line. I'm gonna give this as an act of worship to you. They want me to sign this. They want me to fudge these numbers. They want me to, uh, the, 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 the group I run with, they want to talk about women in a certain way or they want to gossip or whatever. I'm, I'm drawing my line. 
the more we give God of that, the more he can use of us. As we step over those lines, he can't use us as much. As a matter of fact, watch what happens. So Daniel does this for 10 days with, his, with his, uh, the rest of his uh, group there, and, uh, and it works. They actually, be, now, it's cool because it's different cultures, but they actually become fatter, it says. They're eating vegetables and, and water, and, and they become fatter. So it had to have been God, right? Because you just don't happen when you have vegetables. Uh, that's why I never eat them. Uh, Daniel one seventeen. listen to this. To these, young, these four young men, God gave. Daniel resolved... God had caused, and now God gave. He gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel, Daniel, see, Daniel takes it up one more notch. He could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now listen, let's take that verse and go back nine verses to verse eight. What if Daniel just went, you know, I really probably should do those dietary laws, but eh, the other 9,999 guys are all kind of eating that stuff. Eh. I wonder if God would have been, had the position in Daniel's life to be able to have done that. And isn't that the difficulty? When you're in the conversation, in the right by the water cooler, and all of a sudden, there's the line, and you're like, yeah, and the Holy Spirit or your conscience is like tearing you up inside, and you're like, I shouldn't. But you can't see verse 17 yet. Daniel hadn't read Daniel. See what I'm saying? And yet he made his line. Daniel didn't know how this was going to end. I mean, if they're going to kill the official without any problem, imagine what they're going to do to Daniel. And yet, he has this obedience. Daniel resolved, God had caused, and now God gave. And man, I'm telling you, this, this particular king got more than he bargained for. Because Daniel did start to be able to interpret dreams. And if, as you read Daniel, you read about these things where Daniel was like, Daniel was awesome, man. Nebuchadnezzar has his dream, and Daniel comes in, and he's like, hey, you can interpret dreams. And then Daniel has the audacity to tell this king, oh, no, I can't. God can, though. And he gives his dream, and it's not a really great interpretation either. It's not like, wow, you're going to prosper forever. He goes to him another time and says, man, yay, king, live forever. You've been weighed in the scales and found lacking. Have a nice day, Right? Well, what happens is Daniel begins to get promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted. And you go, oh, that's awesome. If I obey, I'll get a promotion. <laughs> but see, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he'll have your head. <laughs> but you will have left room for God to move. And anytime you leave room for God to move, great things happen, okay? Not, maybe not as far as the culture is concerned. This happened to Daniel. They, they get 120 what they call satraps, which are like little governors all over the territory. And, and, and so um, the king wanted to make sure he didn't suffer any loss. So he put these governors all around. And he decided what he was going to do with Daniel is make him the head over all the 120 satraps. All over all 120 governors. And guess who didn't like that? 
the 120 governors. Just like in our jobs, right? You get the promotion, what's the first thing? I, well, you know, I've been here way longer than you. You know, all that same kind of stuff is happening to Daniel. And so they decide they're going to trick him. They're going to trap him. And so they make this law and to the king. Now, I'm going to give you some information that's going to blow your mind after I tell you this. But they make this law that you can only pray to the king. You can't pray to any other god but the king. And so they say, they go to the king, and they're like, hey, king, isn't this a great idea? And he's like, yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I mean, I would like it. You guys pray to me. That'd be cool. So, you know, he, 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 he signs his name, puts a signet ring on it, and bam, you can't pray to God. You know what the Bible says? When Daniel found out about it, the first thing he did, drew his line. No way. The first thing he did is he goes up, up to his whatever it was, opens the windows up. He kneels down, he starts praying. You know what he prays? He prays a prayer of thanksgiving. I would be praying a prayer of, save me. You want me praying, don't you? Hey, could you do me a favor and get me back to the whole satrap thing? Because I, you know, can you burn up the law? Can you, you know, this is not fair. I followed you forever. Can you Daniel prays a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Oh, Lord, thank you. They find out about it. They trap him. They trick him. And they go, hey, they go back to the king. Remember you said you signed that law? Remember you said you'd throw him in the lion's den? And the guy said, yeah, totally. Daniel was praying. The king stayed up all night trying to figure out how he's going to save Daniel. Tries to figure out, can't, can't figure it out, so they put him in the lion's den. This is what the kids are learning right now, the lion's den. Now, here's the trippy thing. Do you know how old Daniel was when he went in the lion's den? He was 80 years old. It was a, different, a whole different king. It was the king of Persia. In other words, the Babylonians that we had just learned about through Pastor Bob were taken over by the Persians. And now there's Daniel in the midst of the Persians, but there's God in the midst of the Persians. And see, that's what I'm saying. Everything might go right for you because you're following God, but all of a sudden you might get that new boss. All of a sudden, they might do a reorg of your company. All of a sudden, you love this one math teacher, and oh, man, and they moved to Canada, and now you got this new math teacher, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, something might, there might be a new naming on you that you didn't ask for. But what God's here to tell you this morning, they can't tame your heart. They can call you whatever. They can demote you, promote you, do whatever, but they can't tame your heart and every day daniel would go three times a day before his god and pray that's who daniel was and all of a sudden they made a law and daniel didn't petition he didn't go around and get signatures he didn't you know grab his sword and on that day daniel went to his boss and said you know die you know (laughs) daniel does what he's always done about a relationship with his heavenly father So let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, Where's your line? In your context of your home, your retirement, your kind of thing, where's this, where's, in your marriage, do you have a line in your marriage where you say, you know, things start, you get, start getting into an argument and you go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. In your relationships, in your money, do you have a line? Where you say, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into debt. I'm not going to, Like Peter said, 
Is there another God that you really want to serve? Do you have a line? Do you have a boundary? Watch what the Bible says here. For Daniel, they couldn't find anything corrupt or negligent. The dude was a hard worker. Colossians 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, that's the key. In your ministry context, in your work context, in your neighborhood context, what would God have you do? 